the Lord. So thank you for your ministry um, to this church. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you thanking you for the opportunity to gather once again to pray, to consider the glories of the gospel in our own assurance of pardon that we can confess to you and be in right relationship with you continually because of what you have done for us on the cross, that you intercede for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. Father, we thank you for your work uh, by your Holy Spirit and working in and through our lives, Lord, to show us more of you that we might uh, die to self, that you might become more, that we might become less. Oh, Lord, would you do that work continually in us. Thank you for uh, your word. Thank you in a few moments that we can look at that. Thank you for um, just what you're doing in the life of this congregation and working in our midst. Father, we pray uh, not just for ourselves. We lift up other churches um, in uh, this community. We lift up Cornerstone Fellowship. Uh, Lord, to you this morning, that you would be with them, that you would work in their midst, that you would encourage them, that you would uh, use uh, them in this community, Lord, to take the gospel to places where it's most needed, uh, that we would pray the same for us, Lord, that we would uh, do that for your glory. Thank you for all the things that the churches are doing in our community, Lord, that we uh, are thankful for in meeting the needs of the less fortunate and the poor in our midst. We thank you for a season of hope coming up this uh, Saturday that you would work through that, that, Lord, you would use uh, the uh, gospel presentation and uh, the kindness shown to these individuals, Lord, to draw them uh, and hear of you and your great love for them uh, from that very first Christmas till now. Father, we pray that you would use uh, even the gifts that we are preparing for uh, these families, Lord, that you would use that for your glory, that you would bring fruit from those. Father, we thank you for the Christmas project going well and over uh, almost 800 families receiving uh, gifts, um, Lord, in this community. We pray that you would use those as well to draw many to faith in Christ, uh, Lord, that you would use those. And so we thank you for these opportunities and more in our community that uh, how we're loving each other in this community. We thank you for a rich heritage here to be a part of. Father, we pray uh, for other churches within um, our network. We pray for Sovereign Grace uh, Church of Middle Tennessee, and this actually happens to be where the Hilliards go, Lord, who will be with us on Thursday, uh, sharing their concert with us. We pray that you would be uh, with them. We pray that you would be with Pastor Mark Grimaldi, Lord, that you would encourage him uh, in all that is going on in their church, and Lord, that you would continue to use that church as a witness uh, for your glory uh, in that part of Tennessee. Uh, Lord, we thank you for uh, other churches in the network that can be such a, a time of encouragement to us and a source of encouragement. We thank you for that. Lord, we also lift up the persecuted church. We think of uh, the persecuted church in Laos uh, today. Uh, we lift them to you, that uh, these believers, that you know who they are, that are often... Um, uh, marginalized in uh, closed countries or uh, restricted countries, Lord, that you would show your grace to them and forgive us for not taking our freedoms 
to share the gospel more openly and proudly as we ought to, uh, which they would wish for, but are suffering because of the sake of the name. They are imprisoned, some uh, being put over towards death, and Lord, we ask that you would uh, meet their needs and care for them, and so we lift them to you. Father, we lift up unreached people groups. Lord, we know that we are celebrating uh, both your first and second coming, and so many in the world have never heard of your first, and that's hard to believe in a world that is uh, so global now with technology and all the things that we have at our disposal in this generation. God, would you uh, bring missionaries uh, to the Nangadama people of Mali, Africa, that, Lord, you would work in and through uh, missionaries, that you would put these people on um, their hearts, Lord, to raise them up to go and minister to these people. Father, we ask that you would help us to see great um, uh, just progress, Lord, in the mission of taking the gospel to needy places in our generation. Father, we pray for all these troubled spots in the world. We think of uh, West Africa and all the coups that have happened this year. We think of the war in Ukraine. Uh, the war with Israel and uh, Gaza right now. Uh, we just pray that you would be in all these circumstances, Lord, to bring yourself glory. We know that you are sovereign over all, and Lord, that all things, nothing happens uh, apart from your knowledge and apart from your working. And so we pray that you would accomplish your purposes in these things. We pray for our own military, that you would be with them overseas, that often uh, they feel... Um, just lonely this time of the year, uh, away from family and friends, Lord, that you would give them great um, uh, strength in serving our country, but Lord, that you would use chaplains to minister. Lord, we thank you for our uh, network chaplains uh, through the Air Force that were able to minister to these families that uh, lost loved ones in Japan after um, the uh, Osprey aircraft crashed and eight servicemen were killed. Uh, would you uh, just comfort those families, Lord, through our chaplains? We thank you for this ministry through uh, the Reformed Baptist Network that you would continue to uh, draw many to yourself through their ministry. Father, we pray for our governing leaders. We, from the president all the way down, Lord, we, this country needs you. Uh, God, would you humble us? Would you help us to cry out to you? Uh, Father, I pray that you would be uh, with um, our president and yet those running for office, that, Lord, you would draw them to yourself, most importantly, that, Lord, you would uh, give us um, a, a grace that would lead to uh, humble repentance in this country. Uh, God, we pray for that. Uh, we ask for that uh, this Christmas, that, Lord, you would uh, return us to a place of utter reliance upon you. And we know that that prayer um, is, has carried weight uh, through the generations. But Lord, you have blessed this country and um, we fear for her survival. Um, and so we pray for our own country, let alone every country, Lord, that you would be honored and lifted up and glorified. Uh, give us not what we deserve, Lord, and show your mercy, we pray. Father, we ask for those that are grieving. We pray that you would be with the D'Amatos, uh, my friend um, Kim, after losing her husband, Ryan, Lord, to cancer this week, we pray that you'd be with them and comfort them uh, at this time of year, but also in these circumstances, that you would draw uh, all of them to a closer walk with you. Uh, Father, that you would use this 
in a way that you would see fit, but be with them in their grieving, Lord. Father, we pray for uh, a lot of the, uh, just the, the terrible tornadoes, Lord, in Tennessee, that you would be with these families that have lost loved ones, uh, that you would uh, care for them, provide for them, help the church to raise up in those areas to serve their communities. Um, so would you be with them? Lord, we lift up our expectant mothers, uh, Whitney and Sarah. We pray that you'd be with them. Uh, we thank you for uh, these babies in the womb and how precious they are. Uh, Lord, for uh, their uh, just continued growth, but also safe arrival uh, when it comes time. Father, we continue to pray for Christina Grabiel's healing after surgery. Uh, we pray uh, continually for um, uh, Dean and John Cordy and others we've been praying for. Would you be with uh, uh, Joe, Lord, as he uh, approaches back surgery on December 20th? You'd be with him as well. Uh, Father, we uh, lift up those that are traveling those that are sick, we think of uh, Christiana, and we think of um, little Eden, Lord, who is battling RSV, and Lord, that you would just be with these, and that you would help them to feel your uh, healing touch even this moment, and we just thank you for them. Father, we thank you for our uh, uh, brothers and sisters down at Christ alone. We thank you for this church plant, that you would encourage them, be with them, uh, be with Pastor Tim, Lord, as he preaches your word this morning. We thank you for this uh, dear family of, um, of fellow believers just down the mountain, and we pray that you would encourage them, bring them growth as they enter into their second year, Lord, as a church. Uh, help us now as we look at your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning. I trust that you all are doing well here, December 10th. I don't know about you, but this, <laughs> this year has flown, and uh, we are in the midst of um, the Christmas season, and I'm sure your schedule is just as busy as mine. Uh, we will take a break on Christmas Eve to look at a, uh, another passage, but for now, uh, continue our uh, look at the book of Genesis. Would you turn to Genesis chapter 24, one of the longest chapters uh, in the book of Genesis, uh, and not by mistake. I think we'll see again today that uh, this is a not only a a time where the Lord is transitioning between the focus on Abraham to the focus on Isaac as carrying uh, this promise into the next generation, but also a repetition that is taking place in this text uh, and the answered prayer of a bride for Isaac. So uh, if you would stand with me, we're going to read um, Genesis uh, chapter 24, um, starting down in verse 29 and read to the end of the chapter. This is God's word. Rebekah had a brother whose name was Laban. Laban ran out towards the man to the spring. And as soon as he saw the ring and bracelets on his sister's arms and heard the work, words of Rebekah, his sister, thus the man spoke to me, he went to the man. And behold, he was standing by the camels at the spring. He said, come in, O blessed of the Lord. Why do you stand outside? For I have prepared the house and a place for the camels. And so the man came to the house and unharnessed the camels, gave straw and fodder to the camels, and there was water to wash his feet and feet of the men who were with him. Then food was set before him to eat. But he said, I will not eat until I have said what I have to say. He said, speak on. And so he said, I am Abraham's servant. The Lord has greatly blessed my master, and he has become great. 
And he has given him flocks and herds, silver and gold, male servants and female servants, camels and donkeys. And Sarah, my master's wife, bore a son to my master when she was old. And to him he has given all that he has. My master made me swear, saying, You shall not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, in whose land I dwell. But you shall go to my father's house and to my clan and take a wife for my son. I said to my master, Perhaps the woman will not follow me. But he said to me, The Lord, before whom I have walked, will send his angel with you and prosper your way. You shall take a wife for my son by, from my clan and from my father's house. Then you will be free from my oath when you come to my clan. And if they will not give her to you, you will be free from my oath. I came today to the spring and said, O Lord, the God of my master Abraham, if now you are prospering the way that I go, behold, I am standing by the spring of water. Let the virgin who comes out to draw water, to whom I shall say, please give me a little water from your jar to drink, and who will say to me, drink, I will draw for your camels also. Let her be the woman whom the Lord has appointed for my master's son. Before I finished speaking in my heart, behold, Rebekah came out with her water jar on her shoulder, and she went down to the spring and drew water. And I said to her, please, let me drink. And She quickly let down her jar from her shoulder and said, drink, and I will give your camels a drink also. So I drank, and she gave the camels a drink also. And then I asked her, whose daughter are you? And she said, the daughter of Bethuel, Nahor's son from Milcah, bore to him. So I put my ring on her nose and the bracelets on her arms. And then I bowed my head and worshiped the Lord and blessed the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who had led me by the right way to take the daughter of my master's kinsman for his son. Now then, if you are going to show steadfast love and faithfulness to my master, tell me. And if not, tell me that I may turn to the right hand or to the left. And then Laban and Bethuel answered and said, The thing has come from the Lord. We cannot speak to you bad or good. Behold, Rebekah is before you. Take her and go, and let her be the wife of your master's son, as the Lord has spoken. When Abraham, Abraham's servant heard their words, he bowed himself to the earth before the Lord. And the servant brought out jewelry of silver and of gold and of garments and gave them to Rebekah. He also gave to her brother and to her mother costly ornaments. And he and the men who were with them ate and drank, and they spent the night there. And when they arose in the morning, he said, Send me on our way to my master. Her brother and her mother said, Let the young woman remain for us, with us a while, at least ten days. After that she may go. But he said to them, Do not delay me, since the Lord has prospered my way. Send me away that I may go to my master. And they said, Let us call the young woman and ask her. And they called Rebekah and said to her, Will you go with this man? She said, I will go. So they sent Rebekah, their sister, and her nurse, and Abraham's servant and his men. And they blessed Rebekah and said to her, Our sister, may you become thousands of ten thousands, and may your offspring possess the gate of those who hate him. Then Rebekah and her young women arose and rode on camels and followed the man. Thus the servant took Rebekah and went his way. Now Isaac had returned from Beer, Beer Lahai Roy and was dwelling in the Negev. 
And Isaac went out to meditate in the field towards the evening. He lifted up his eyes and saw, and behold, there were camels coming. And Rebekah lifted up her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from the camel and said to the servant, Who is that man walking in the field to meet us? The servant said, It is my master. She took her veil and covered herself. The servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. Then Isaac brought her into the tent of Sarah, his mother, and took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. And so Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. This ends the reading of God's word. May he add his blessing to it. You may be seated. As you can tell through the narrative of Genesis, the author Moses has been faithful to write out an accurate rendition of the redemptive work that he was doing ultimately from the garden all the way to what we will see at the end of Genesis that sets us up for the book of Exodus with Moses. Now Moses is tasked with writing this down and we know from other scriptures that he is being inspired by the Holy Spirit to do so. In the context here, we have seen how God has answered prayer after prayer of Abraham's life, how he has challenged his faith, that he's encouraged him to walk with him. And in this chapter, we saw at the very beginning of the chapter how God led him to uh, seek a wife for his son Isaac, but not amongst the Canaanites. And so he tasks his servant, as we've looked at in the last few weeks, and this servant is overwhelmed by this task and the job that he has to accomplish, and yet goes in faith as well, that God is able to walk with him and help him and give him the uh, success that he needs in finding a bride for his um, master. And so in this context, we have seen really a repetition going on. If you haven't noticed, we've already spent two weeks looking at this. He has gone to the well. We saw the original account. But now we're going to see it in full color once again, repeated to Rebecca and her household. And you might think, well, we've already heard this message. Well, you have. But isn't it interesting that when we see repetition in Scripture, we see that the Lord is trying to make a point. There is an established fact of why chapter 24 exists in the Scriptures. And that is to connect us to the ultimate understanding that God is working His redemptive work in and through Isaac, the promised son. And it's through this that we need, of course, a bride for Isaac in order for this to happen. We even see the prophecy, as we'll look at later in this text, that even the family prophesies that she indeed will be a connection to this ultimate promise and God's redemptive history. And so Moses, being the author of this, notices connecting the dots as we go along in this sense of this journey of God's redemptive work. Ultimately, that will come to a baby in Bethlehem that will be born of a virgin. The reality that God is using this genealogy is very clear. But it's not just the genealogy that God is accomplishing in time and space, but we know from the very foundation of the, uh, the flow of the text that this is ultimately about what God is doing even in the lives of these people as they trust the Lord 
by faith. And so I want to mainly focus on four points, not read back through that long passage, but to make some application here uh, concerning what God was doing in both Isaac's life, but also Rebecca's, let alone this servant's life, when we look at this text. But it's very clear that Moses, let alone the Holy Spirit, has another audience in mind, and it's us. We are reading this text, as we saw last week, that the text identifies Rebecca before the text, or those in the text realize it's her. In other words, God is giving us the ability to read through this text and see his providential care and his decree before it even happens. And so why this is instructive to us and the purpose of the scripture given is ultimately to raise our eyes to this same God that he is able to meet our needs in the same way that he has met the needs of these in the text. And when God in his providence reveals his will in any particular matter whatsoever in our lives, we must not delay in giving him glory and responding to him in faith because of his redemptive purposes and ultimately for our good. So real, uh, real quickly, I want to uh, run through these four points. First of all, we see the response that they make to this realized of answered prayer uh, here in this text in verse 29 through 33. And then really, the servant retells everything that we've already read in chapter 24. And he does it in great detail, ultimately to persuade and to assure the uh, family of Rebekah that this is really of God's work. It's a retelling of what God has done. Thirdly, we'll see that we see them receiving uh, the ultimate providence of God, that these things are of the Lord. And we see this with Bethuel and with Laban saying, well, this, these things are the Lord. We can't say anything against this. This is a God thing. We, we cannot speak evil or against it. And then lastly, we'll see really the reliance upon the Lord uh, in the ultimate results of this encounter with this servant and Rebecca at the well. And we'll make some application. So let's take a look at this real quick. First of all, in this text, as we saw last week, it's a repetition of him coming to the uh, family of Rebecca. He's met Rebecca at the well. He's given her gifts. He's told her of what has happened. And now as she goes to, uh, or as he goes to the house and, and uh, Laban is inviting him, uh, notice here that it comes in multiple uh, ways. First of all, that Moses as the writer is reminding us, the reader, that God has done this. He has brought these circumstances together in his providence. But notice also the kindness of Laban here in the early part of our text. He runs out. Notice it's after Rebecca comes and shares. The word spreads that this has happened. She has gold bracelets on that no doubt were costly. And uh, he wants to meet this this individual who's given gifts to his sister. And so he runs out, and of course, uh, notice his greeting to him here in uh, verse 30 here. He, he says, O blessed of the Lord. Sorry, verse 31. O blessed of the Lord, why do you stand outside? I have prepared the house and a place for the camels. Now, remember, for those of you who might not have been with us, that he had 10 camels with him. And we talked about how much camels drink. And how Rebecca had done that, she had labored in this way, and that God used this as part of the answer to the servant's prayer. And so he's bringing back uh, not just the servant, but all that he had with him, all these camels and the other servants that were with him. 
And so they're housing them and showing great hospitality to them. Notice in verse 32, he's, uh, he comes uh, to the house and uh, un un unharnessed the camels and gave straw and fodder to the camels. And there was water to wash his feet and the feet of the men who were with him. And then food was set before them. So great hospitality is being shown to them. This would be the norm in that part of the world at that time to show hospitality to even strangers uh, that had traveled a long distance. And so uh, there was great care being given. But notice that he acknowledges that he's blessed of the Lord. And this is the covenant name Yahweh. We see that there was a faith that they had towards uh, the Lord, uh, even at this point, that God was lifting their eyes to trust him more and that they truly were worshiping the Lord. Otherwise, they would have rejected um, what uh, the servant was saying. And they didn't appeal to gods or other deities. We see their faith here. We even see, even in the kindness of Bethuel, the father who's overseeing all these things, uh, along with Laban, that, uh, that there is a kindness that is being shown to even uh, the animals. I don't know if you've ever considered that before, but even Solomon, in his wisdom, uh, said in Proverbs chapter 12, he says this, uh, about uh, one that regards the life of an animal. Um, Proverbs 12.10 says this, Whoever is righteous has regard for the life of his beast, but the mercy of the wicked is cruel. And so don't miss the fact that even the hospitality to these animals is an intimate part of this text. Not only Rebecca's care for the camels, which spoke highly of answered prayer to the servant, but also that in praying such a prayer, the servant was looking for a particular kind of young lady. Not one that would back down at hard work, one that would rise up and also serve. So think of all the character traits that were showed in the life of Rebecca to this servant by just this one act. So it's very clear that Laban and the rest of the family are of people of good faith, but also attentive to even strangers. And so there's this response to this answered prayer. First of all, the writer of Moses, obviously the reader, as I've already mentioned, Laban and Bethuel and how they show kindness here. But also notice how the servant responds. The servant responded in worshiping the Lord for what he had done, that he had opened the door to an answer to his prayer. But also notice that Rebecca is silent in this part of the text, but she herself responds in faith. Why? She runs and tells the story to her family. So notice how many times this is happening. We see in the text, this is the, the narrative that we read. Then in the text, it tells us that she goes and tells the family of what just happened. And then we see in the text here, which is the bulk of the text that we read this morning, is the servant retelling it, not just narrating it to the reader, but also to Rebecca's family. And then we'll see even at the end of the text that, that the servant tells us to Isaac. It's almost like he's going to break into this a fourth time and share this great news. Well, what is the point? A great work has happened here in God's providence in bringing a connection or a link, if you will, in this line of redemption in this dear family based upon the promise given to Abraham. And so we see their response. But it's not just their response. Look at our second point here. It's the re actual retelling of 
God's work and what he did in accomplishing this prayer. Now, notice in the text, if you were to reread it, that it is a retelling in a sense of trying to persuade the family that this really is not only how it happened, but to assure them that this is of the Lord. Now, the servant's convinced at this point, but we know the family is not. I mean, you dads right now, how much are you going to believe a young man that comes to your door and says, hey, uh, your daughter um, answered uh, this, the exact way that I prayed, and she is going to come with us. And she can jump on my Harley, and we're going to drive off into the sunset, and you can be confident and assured that this is of the Lord. Any good dad is going to be like, yeah, why don't we sit down for a little bit? Let me show you my gun collection. And I want to just show you, we'll polish them a little bit and talk about this. No, any, any right loving father would question what's going on here. But we see here that they are left speechless. There's nothing they can say about it. It is matched up perfectly in their minds. And so really there's five things here that happen in the retelling of this story. First of all, on this point of retelling God's work, first of all, it's to settle their minds. Look at how the servant starts with this in verse 34. He starts by saying just a short phrase. He says, I am Abraham's servant. Now think about that for a moment. How does that put their minds at ease? Well, this is their relative. They know about Abraham. They know where he went. They know the story. They've heard of these things. They know of the wealth. And he's saying that this is Abraham's son. This is Abraham's servant that's being sent in his honor. But then secondly, notice he goes into the rest of the text describing why he's going. He's there to find a mate or a wife for Isaac. Isaac, in this context, is the heir of all that Abraham has. So notice what the servant is saying. He's settling their minds not just by family relation, and they're not strangers, but secondly, that Isaac is about to become heir. Now this would settle any man's mind in the Far East at this time, that his daughter was certainly going to be taken care of. There's wealth. It's not like he's a poor guy living in the desert. He is very wealthy, but he's also about to inherit all that Abraham has. Now, the context here, notice it's also speaking of the promise that all that God would do. Look at verse 35. The Lord has greatly blessed my master, and he has become great. He has given him flocks and herds, silver and gold, male servants and female servants, camels and donkeys. And Sarah, my master's wife, bore him uh, a son to my master when she was old, and to him he has given all that he has. My master made me swear, saying that you shall not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, as we have already read. So the reality here is that there is a secure foundation on which Rebecca can walk into. This isn't going blind. It isn't hopeful uh, thinking of a young man. This servant is playing the intermediary party in this arrangement. But so, first of all, he settles their minds as far as family. Secondly, that Isaac is heir. Thirdly here, look at the text. It tells us that he was ultimately recording that he was bound by oath to do so to find a bride for Isaac. He even shares how he would be freed from that oath. And if we remember the text, it tells, and as he repeats to the family here, that he would be freed from this oath 
if, in fact, he couldn't be successful in assuring that she would come with him. Isn't that interesting, as we've made note of an observation, that all these men are standing around deciding about whether a woman is going to do something or not. And it's very interesting that you can see Rebecca's faith because she is not saying good or evil about any of this. Her mind's probably spinning. So it, it shows that there was a way out of this oath if she wasn't willing to go. In other words, it goes back to the very faith of Rebecca, whether she was going to believe this and really obey the Lord in this. So it's not just this oath, but then fourthly, notice that the servant humbles himself before God. In his retelling of the story, he also puts himself in the picture. He recounts the answered prayer and he says in verse 42, I came today to the spring and said, O Lord, the God of my master Abraham, if now you are prospering the way that I go, behold, I am standing by the spring of water. And then he repeats how the woman should come out. And then he says, verse 45, before I had finished speaking, in my heart, behold, Rebecca came out with her water jar on her shoulder and uh, drew water. And then I said to her, please let me drink. She also gave water to the camels. Then look at verse 47. Then I asked her, whose daughter are you? She responds, verse 48. What does he do? Then I bowed my head and worshiped the Lord and blessed the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who led me by the right way to take the daughter of my master's kinsman for his son. Now, remember the faith of Abraham at the beginning of the chapter. You can look back. He tells his servant that he is going to send his angel ahead of him, that God would send his angel to give him prosperous um, success. And notice here that the servant is honoring the Lord in the midst of that, that angels are mere messengers and helpers. We know that Abraham was quite aware of angels as two even appeared with the Lord before the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah earlier in the text of Genesis, that angels were attending to this redemptive line. And so God is working in this. This was a supernatural work in connecting two people's lives for the purposes of God's glory. But then lastly, so it wasn't just settling their minds by family. It wasn't just Isaac being the heir. It wasn't just this oath that he was bound by. Not only his humble humility before God, which dads, that should help you. Uh, if a man is, is more worried about the glory of God than your daughter, then praise God that he is working in his life. And young ladies, you ought to be looking for that in a young man that loves God more than he would you. Because only through that is he able to serve you and love you as he ought. And so lastly here, he then shows his answered prayer as a sign of God's providential care. So look down at verse 49. It tells us that he is um, uh, convinced of this. Well, verse 48, as he worshiped, um, he says, uh, who led me by the right way to take the daughter of my master's kinsman for his son. In other words, he's convinced that Rebecca's the one. Verse 49, now then, and we know this, if you are going to show steadfast love and faithfulness to my master, tell me. And if not, tell me that I might turn to the right hand or to the left. See, he's a very very uh, manly man. He's logical. He just says, okay, next step. 
uh, it's very clear that she's the one. Um, the next thing on my task is we got to go. And I'm clear that this is the one for my master Isaac. Notice his repetition of steadfast love and faithfulness. When did he use that before? The servant, who's not even named again in this passage, which should remind us of something, that the focus is not on this individual, but ultimately on the God who is guiding this individual. He asked God to show his steadfast love and faithfulness to his master Abraham was his prayer. And now he's exhorting them as Rebecca's family to show steadfast love and faithfulness to his master. In other words, it's through God's working in the lives of other people that God answers prayer and ultimately, by his providence, puts things together as they ought to be for his redemptive purposes. And we see this right here. This is why we have to dig into this narrative a little bit. And so he's convinced, but the family's not. So he retells this story again. I won't read it again, but he tells all the details of how all this happened, ultimately, to put their minds at ease. And so how do they receive this? Look at our third point here, the receiving of God's providence. Look at verse 49. It starts here, and we see that, first of all, uh, Bethuel and Laban are dealing with this at first. Now, you might think it's strange. Laban is the brother. Why is he so involved, you might ask? Well, it was normal custom in, uh, at this time for both uh, sons and fathers to be involved in uh, the life of a young lady who was going to be given away in marriage, uh, the management of the household, and so on and so forth. Uh, also, many writers uh, put the fact that, again, the practice of polygamy in that generation and in that time could have uh, put people at odds within the family. And so to think through those things, that sons often uh, of the, the main wife were often in charge of such things. But notice that they're together in this, that they're hearing these things. Look at verse 50. It mentions them together. Laban and Bethuel answered and said, The thing has come from the Lord. We cannot speak to you bad or good. In other words, how, how, what is our response to this story? And we know that it's verified because Rebecca told us her side of the story. You've told us your story. They match up. God has sent you from um, uh, my brother Abraham. And so there's clarity on all sides. There's no doubt whatsoever that this has come from the Lord. So notice their receiving of this providential circumstance as from the Lord and that they cannot speak good or bad. In other words, we're just awestruck. We're really surprised, but this is what has happened. And then verse 51, look at how they respond. Behold, Rebekah is before you. Take her and go and let her be the wife of your master's son as the Lord has spoken. So notice here that they're taking God's providential working as God's word, as God has spoken. Notice that at the end of verse 51, that the Lord has spoken. In other words, that this is something that God was working in the heart of Abraham. It's something he worked through this servant. It's something he's working in the life of Laban and Bethuel and also in Rebekah. And so they receive it well in verse 50 and 51, but they're not the only ones that receive it. Again, the, our eyes are gone to our, the servant again. He also receives it. Look at verse 52. When the ser Abraham's servant 
heard their words, he bowed himself to the earth before the Lord. So this is the second time. In other words, God is giving him success. The family is assured that this is from the Lord. And the servant brought out jewelry of silver and gold and garments and gave them to Rebekah. Praise the Lord, he didn't bring him out beforehand. <laughs> it was all uh, before the Lord. And he's really in response to this answered prayer. He's worshiping and then he's giving gifts. Beware of men who will give gifts before they give answers, right? So he gives these gifts, and notice the, you can see the excitement in the text in the uh, family. Notice at the end of verse 53, he's also uh, giving to her brother uh, costly ornaments. Um, and, and the men who were uh, with him ate and drank finally because he was able to uh, settle this matter. Isn't that awesome to see how God works in the midst of people's response to God's providence? But it wasn't just Bethuel, it wasn't just Laban, um, but also we see there was a struggle that happened overnight. We see that they eat, and he wants to go on his way. They spend the night, and then just like anyone who uh, rests on something and uh, sleeps on it, uh, this is biblical evidence that uh, that could be a wise practice, uh, but certainly a norm for people. Uh, it says here that they, uh, they got up the next morning, and what happens? Her brother and her mother said, let the young woman remain with us for a while. In other words, there's this emotion that enters the text that maybe we're being too hasty about this. We would really like to spend some time with Rebecca. When's the next time we're going to see her? We're sending her on so quickly. All these things have come upon us very quickly. And so this is uh, very hard for them to swallow here in verse 55. And they ask for 10 days, notice at the end of verse 55, and after that she may go. So they're not saying no, but they backed up from where they were. They didn't give a time frame. They just said take her and go, but uh, they weren't expecting uh, this to happen so quickly. So then verse 56, but he said to them, the servant, do not delay me. And notice he implores the Lord again. He says, since the Lord has prospered my way. In other words, the Lord has made it known. We're all assured of it. Let me go on my way. It's time to go. Send me away that I may go to my master. And so the servant wants to finish the job. He wants to fully um, uh, bring back Rebecca and have mission accomplished. Surely this was not the only thing that the servant had to accomplish at this time. And so notice their response, verse 57. They said, let us call the young woman and ask her. And so that's a huge uh, wait for them is to say, you know what, we're arguing about this, but what about Rebecca? And so Rebecca is the last one here that, the, that it records about her receiving of all these things and how God is providentially working. And look at how she answers. Look at verse 58. And they called Rebecca and said to her, will you go with this man? And she said what? I will go. Have you noticed in the text, this whole text, Rebecca said nothing. It, in, it infers that she went and told the family, but after that point, there's no mention of her speaking about anything. She's certainly working on these things and trying to understand these things. She receives gifts in verse 53, and then they put it back in her court and saying, ultimately, Rebecca, this is up to you. I think this is important in the context of not just culture of the Old Testament, but general culture and the way that we think about marriage and giving in marriage. That it's a holy thing. I was really uh, uh, humored by 
the writing of John Calvin on this topic as he was speaking uh, about the 15th century and how marriage was marriage uh, nuptials or uh, oaths were made so flippantly in his day. And we're talking about 500 years ago. He would turn over in his grave if he knew how things were going today in our world. But the focus here is ultimately, is Rebecca willing? And she says, I will go. Now, in redemptive history, this is huge. It's all hinging on what Rebecca's going to say. The whole text, this whole long 67-verse chapter, is all leading up. Isaac can't go anywhere without a woman. He can't go to the next generation. The promise can't be fulfilled. The servant can't have success until he brings back a woman. He prays. He's honored God. He's totally giving himself completely to the providence of God, asking for his leadership. The only way to be freed from that oath is if she's unwilling. So it all comes back to this moment of the text and saying, Rebecca, what do you say? And ladies, don't underestimate the power of your words. Don't underestimate when a man ought to be asking for your hand in marriage that that is a yes or no question. And look at what she says in an answer in the timeline of redemptive history. She says these words, I will go. Now in the context of the Hebrew, it's very interesting that this should ring a bell for many of us in the context of one of her descendants years in the future. And that would be Ruth. In the book of Ruth, it says in chapter 1, verse 16, when Ruth says, I will go, I will follow you, your God shall be my God. I am willing to go, I'm going, I'm giving all to follow and be with you, and your God will be my God. There was a sense of faith in the unknown and ultimately who held the future, which was God himself. And she also believed that God was working these things for his providential uh, and redemptive purposes. And so Rebecca's faith here in verse 58 is huge. Do we, in the timing of the Lord, in the circumstances of our lives, respond to God in the same way? I will go. So, All of these have received God's providence. Now, lastly, before we make some application, is lastly in this text, we see ultimately a reliance upon the Lord for the outcome or the results of what has been prayed for by the servant. Look at verse 59. Notice there is a reoccurrence now of what is going to take place in the future really about the promise given to Abraham. Look at verse 59. It says, So they went away, and Rebekah, their sister... And her nurse, it doesn't mean that Rebecca was a doctor, it means that she had attendants, um, that she uh, was, had many other uh, young ladies that probably traveled with her. So this probably was a, a, a transition for the household as well, uh, sending out some of these laborers that could uh, draw water and do other chores and things like that. And Abraham's servant and his men. So they're all leaving together. Then verse 60, the text seems to pause here, and they blessed Rebecca in parting, and they said these words, Our sister, may you become thousands of ten thousands, and may your offspring possess the gate of those who hate them. Now, why is that significant? First of all, we don't have a record in the text that 
that uh, the servant went into all the details of the original promise given to uh, Abraham. But for us, the reader, this should cause great joy that we, again, as readers, see not just a, uh, an unending chain of God's promise of redemption here, but again, another reality that God is keeping his promises. Turn back to Genesis chapter 22, verse 17. Genesis chapter 22, verse 17, it says this, the reminder after God spares Isaac and they sacrifice the uh, ram instead, it says this, I will surely bless you. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore and your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies or their enemies and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice and so abraham returned to his young men and they arose and went back to beersheba the reality here of the promise that connected abraham's life to the life of jacob i mean to isaac ultimately to jacob but also here in this context to rebecca was the plan of god his precious plan of redemption for all mankind. And so you might say, well, what is this about? Well, ultimately, it's about what God is accomplishing. But finally, we see not just on the reliance of the family in giving this blessing, a prophetic blessing tied to the promise, but we also see that Isaac, who this whole passage has been about, is waiting for his bride to return or ultimately to come to him. There's pictures here of uh, just, just the beauty of what God is doing as he waits uh, ultimately for the day that he will come for his bride, the church. But look here in verse 62 at the close of this text back in, verse, or in chapter 24. It says, Isaac had returned from Bir Lahai Roy. Do you remember that? Where is this? Whenever you see um, uh, this in the text, uh, um, whenever you see beer dash something in English transliteration, it's speaking of a well, and it is the, literally the well of him who sees. That remember, um, Hagar spoke to God and named that well that she was refreshed by beer lahai roy. In other words, the God who lives and sees. I worship you. This is a well that has brought life, and this is where he was at. No accident that he's there. He's returned from there, and he's dwelling in the Negev, which is the southern part of where uh, Abraham had been um, sojourning. And it says, verse 63, Isaac went out to meditate in the field towards evening. So he's certainly looking to the Lord. This meditation uh, in this word is described as we would see prayer and focusing on things that are beyond his daily tasks, that he's meditating on the Lord and what God is doing, no doubt considering what is going on in that this uh, group of men have gone to find him a bride. And it says, and he lifted up his eyes and he saw, and behold, there were camels coming. And Rebekah lifted up her eyes. And when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from the camel. Notice that it says she saw Isaac. She didn't know it was Isaac yet. But as the readers and the narrative of the text, as Moses is writing this, he wants the reader to understand that she saw Isaac and said to the servant, who is that man walking in the fields to meet us? 
And the servant said, it is my master. And so notice that his expectance, his expectancy is that God was going to answer this prayer, that God is ultimately going to be the one that brings this woman. He had never laid eyes on her, and he is trusting that God is working in this scenario, that he sees her, but she doesn't even know it's him. But then also notice her response, her humility, her modesty, and also her subjection to this whole situation. She asks, and it says, he says it's his master, so she took her veil and she covers herself. In uh, Middle Eastern culture, that's very uh, appropriate, especially in the context of what she is being presented as, a bride. And so she veils herself. It shows humility. But then it says that she had often, she, she had often dis, or had actually dismounted from the camel. And so she has um, showing a sign of respect there and not just staying on the animal. And then in verse 66, the servant told Isaac about all that had happened. In other words, uh, let me tell you who's with me and tell, let me tell you the whole story. And it's almost here in verse 66 that we think of all that we've already read in this long passage about God's rehearsing God's faithfulness. And then notice Isaac brought her into the tent of Sarah, his mother, and took Rebekah, and so she became his wife. And again, Sarah's place is uh, transitioned from Sarah to now Rebekah as uh, the uh, matriarch, if you will, of the family and this covenant promise. And it says here in the text that Isaac was then comforted after his mother's death. Uh, ultimately, it's been uh, about three years since um, Sarah passed. So he's still grieving, and he finds closure in taking a wife. Now, in the context here, we see uh, culture and custom that he took her into his mother's tent, which uh, was symbolic of, again, them um, becoming man and wife, and that he's affectionate. Notice his affection is mentioned here uh, towards uh, not just his mother, but also towards Rebecca, that he loved her. And so this wasn't just a uh, transaction that was taking place, but he truly chose to love her. And this shows that even in arranged marriages, God gives the gift and the ability to love someone else, uh, regardless of circumstances. And so we ask the question at the end of this. A lot of information. We see God's faithfulness in working. So what? What about us? I mean, after all, this wasn't a Christmas sermon, Pastor Scott. What are, what are we doing here in Genesis? Well, I'll tell you, it has everything to do with Christmas. Why? Because we see gifts. We get cool bracelets and nose rings. But we also see a bride for Isaac. But do you realize that in the context of this text, we see a connection between what we thought might be a close to this promise that God arrives once again in time and space and connects his ultimate redemptive plan. And it involves the life of one that was to be a sacrifice and yet now is connected to an overall redemptive plan that God would bring in bringing ultimately the Savior of the world into our lives, into time and space. As we know in the text that uh, Isaac couldn't have a virtual wife he needed one who was in the flesh with him 
and being his wife. And even so, we know that an ultimate Savior could not be our Savior unless he came and identified with us, that he became flesh and dwelt among us. You see, the gospel is right here in Genesis 24, just as much as it is in Luke 2, as we read about the marvelous story of what Christ did in coming to earth. But a few points of application for us this morning. Six to be exact. First of all, how do you respond to God's clear answers to prayer in his providence? There are clear answers to prayer and you can say that even though they might cost you something. And there's the kicker. We see for the servant, he's walking away with a huge smile on his face and he's bringing this prized bride back to his master. God has answered prayer. There's praise all over the place. It's been successful. And yes, there are times in our lives that are like that. But even so, what about Laban, Bethuel, Milcah, and the rest of Rebekah's family? While they acknowledge the work of God and his providential care, it was at great cost to them. They're not going to be with Rebekah anymore. Although God's plan of redemption was working in and through them just as much as the servant, just as much as through Isaac, and just as much through Abraham, do we recognize that even in our sacrifices, God is glorified? And even in those times of great success where we benefit, this is, again, where this season comes in, whether we're giving or receiving, God is glorified. And would you remember that this Christmas? That is not just in the transaction of giving and receiving, but in the act of giving and receiving, we are ultimately preaching the gospel in seeing that God is the one who's given so that we also can give. And if we separate gift giving in this sense from the ultimate plan, just like in our text, the gift giving came after the established fact of what the good news was. And the good news is that Christ has come. And so we give and receive in faith. How do you respond to clear answers of prayer in God's providence. Secondly, do you, like this servant, praise God for his overall sovereign care over all things in your life? That he has a plan of redemption that he's working in and through your life? And of course, for those who have never come to faith in Jesus, that is where it starts. Are you believing God? Are you trusting him? that you are separated from him in your sin and you must repent and find life and life eternal in Christ. And for the believer, are you responding and praising God for his overall sovereign care in your life through the circumstances of life? Thirdly, do you, like this servant who did this multiple times in this text, rehearsing God's faithfulness in your life? Are you rehearsing God's faithfulness in your life. Do you find yourself depressed or discouraged this time of year? I often do with all the busyness and uh, schedules and all that. Take heart, believer, this morning. Start to rehearse God's faithfulness in your life and you'll find very quickly the joy of this season returns to your soul. Why? Because it's about him. It's about what he has done and he is speaking. The question is, are we listening? Are we humbling ourselves to retell the story just as this servant did? He couldn't stop telling it. He prayed about it. It happened. He told it. Rebecca told it. He told it again. And then he tells it to Isaac. Are you sharing this great message of God's redemption? There is no greater gift. There is no greater story. This is the story. 
Are you retelling it? This is what this season is all about. Fourthly, do you look onward in faith when God has revealed his next steps in your life? This goes more to the character of Rebecca. Are you of a disposition before the Lord that says, I will go? There has been clear answer to prayer. There has been clear definitions. Your family's on board. Everybody else is on board. Everybody, it seems to, that this is what God is doing. The question is, are you willing to take that step like Rebecca did and say, I will go? Or you have never placed your faith in Jesus. It is God's work in you that ultimately will let you with your mouth say, I believe. I will follow after you, Jesus. You are my Savior and my Lord. Or are we tempted like Laban and his mother to say, let's wait 10 days. Let's wait 10 days. Let's enjoy this. We know that, that this, this is happening, but let's delay the fulfillment of what God has made very clear. Are we people that will say, I will go? And this is a huge one for us this Christmas. Perhaps the Lord has been continuing to work in your life or in mine in ways that he's telling us that are clear through his word and through other people's lives that you are to take a step of faith just like Rebecca here and your call is to respond to him. And are you saying, I will go, I will obey, I will submit to you? Fifthly, in what ways are we trusting God with our future? to face the new challenges and the unknown. I think this time of the year, that's often on our minds. And maybe we get through Christmas, but then as New Year's comes, that is usually the sentiment that's happening. What about this new year? And regardless of whether you have New Year's resolutions or not, what are the things that are coming in the future and what is your attitude about them? Ultimately, this text is reminding us to trust God in his providential care in your life and in mine and in the lives of others. Lastly, but certainly not least, as the Lord applies this to your heart, do you look expectantly, like Rebecca did, for the coming of her master, or to meet her master, and for Isaac to meet his bride, that this great story of the gospel is going to end in a wedding, that we ultimately are waiting for the return of the bridegroom, are we longing expectantly like that? While we celebrate the first coming of Christ this Christmas, are we expectantly waiting for his second return? And in waiting, what are we doing while we wait? Which is to do what he called us to do, to take this message to those who most need it. And he ultimately is going to be our reward, our treasure. This text ends with the meeting of two people who didn't even know each other, and yet God brings them together in great joy and a relationship that would last a lifetime. For you, believer, be rejoicing that God has brought you to Christ and enjoy the treasures of relationship with him this Christmas, as with every day. And then finally, the warning for us to not look expectantly Guard yourself from being surrounded and overcome by the issues of our day, distracted, entertained, and totally unwarm to the things of God. Guard yourself from those. And may God apply this text on a remembrance to us as we go through this season that God is not only the one who is guiding our very lives, 
answering our prayers, but ultimately wants to be our soul's treasure forever. Let's pray. Father, we come before you thanking you for this text. And while it's a long text and while it is a historical narrative that is no doubt important in uh, this uh, chain of events in the progress of redemption, we see your great work in us. We know that the scriptures were given that we also might taste and see that you are good. And while we know that genealogically we're not anticipating anything except the propagation of the gospel to another generation, we know that spiritually that Abraham and Isaac are patriarchs of the faith, that they were justified by faith, that they look to you by faith, And Father, that is what you're calling us to look to you, to trust you more, to realize that not only were you working in Abraham and Isaac's day, but you were working in bringing all these things to pass even in the coming of our Savior and even down to our day. Help us to trust you and to look expectantly on all that you will do in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.